0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Red Tinted Glasses podcast. Today we are joined by former Dons defender Lee Mayer who played 55 times for the club scoring one goal. We also talked to Lee about European nights at Dens Park, his struggles at Stockport County and even receiving death threats. Before we get into it though however if I could ask you to please leave a like on the video if you are watching on YouTube to follow us if you are listening in on an audio platform and also follow us on Twitter at RTG underscore podcast. Thank you very much, and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the show tonight. Former Aberdeen defender Lee Mayer. Lee Mayer making 55 appearances for the Dons with one goal. Lee, welcome along. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Good to have you
0: on the show. 100%. Um, Obviously, Lee, um, born, brought up in Aberdeen as well. Um, Just Presuming Alvar, like a lot of folk around that age. Eh? Was it football from an early age for you? Was it always football? That's
2: exactly what it was. Everywhere I went, I had my football with me. And uh, it was always just remember as a kid you used to play Kirby. Mm-hmm. You we used to play it with our feet. Everything was just we used to we then create a game in the street called football golf, where we were you'd hit to the next lamppost, there was your football, and everything was just football related. I don't know how many windows are smashed in the street growing up as a kid, and it was just Everything was just a game with football and it was all, yeah, all I ever wanted to become was a professional footballer and uh, I was very fortunate that I had the chance to do that for nearly 20
0: years. Exactly, you did exactly that and obviously you started your professional career with Dundee. Uh, i was just sort of wondering, how did that come about and um, was that sort of the only interest around that time or did you have a variety of clubs perhaps you had to you choose from? Well, I started off just as a young boy playing for loads of clubs in Aberdeen, mm. played for Dice, played for Stonywood.
2: Um, and then there was a few clubs that were watching me at the time and I was actually back in the day you, you signed a thing called s form, which meant you were a school, a school boy so I, I was S-Farm with Hearts and um, so I used to play for my school football club on a Saturday morning uh, Stonywood or Dice in the afternoon and then I would get the train down to Edinburgh Saturday night and I would play for Hearts on a Sunday I'd get the train back up the road and then I'd be playing football with my mates Sunday night as I say it was just life was just football um, and then it came to the time of leaving school And it was either Hearts going full-time or not going full-time. And Hearts basically says, no, there's not a contract there for you to go full-time, which was a sore one to take. Um, But uh, at the time, Dundee were interested. And my dad actually phoned a youth coach at Dundee and says, look, Lee's not been taken on full-time at Hearts. Would you be interested? And he says, yes, definitely. So I went to the age of 16, left school, no qualifications, because obviously all I wanted to do was play football. And signed a two year YTS contract at Dundee. And it was, yeah, it was amazing. Just straight into full time football as a kid, earning £45 a week, working probably when it works out now, probably worked out about 50 pence an hour. So, but <laughs> great
1: times, great times. When you first signed for Dundee, then, were you still commuting down from Aberdeen or did you move into Diggs uh, down in Dundee? Yeah, I moved into Diggs, so going
2: from Aberdeen, born with the golden spoon in your mouth, you're then living with a family you don't even know in the Hilton of Dundee, so <laughs> going from one extreme to the other, but it was great because it makes you grow up. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I had my mum and dad do everything for me as a kid, and you then go from a 16-year-old, you're in living with a family you don't know in Dundee, and you, you need to grow up quick. Uh, so I was down there training Monday to Friday, if you weren't on duty, as they called it, sometimes like some, like maybe half a dozen of the youth team had to go and look after the first team on a match day, which means look after the kits, make sure the players have got everything, just make sure that a match day runs smoothly. So you'd be in a rota if you had to go and do that. If I didn't have to do that, I'd be back up the road seeing my family. But yeah, so basically down there from Monday to Friday, uh, training all the time and stuff, and just, yeah, just loving it. It was just a great experience and amongst great professionals that. I look at they probably gave me a grounding for a good career. The likes of your Barry Smiths, your Gavin Reyes, guys that had unbelievable uh, professionalism, and uh, yeah, I just I took that on in the back of being surrounded by these sort of players.
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot when I was doing the the research for you coming on uh, the podcast, just how good a a squad Dundee had in the the early two thousands, and just how you know successful Dundee were. But as a youngster, you know you have to obviously fight your way to to get involved in the first team. But that did also involve some some spells away from Dundee. Uh, you were loaned out to to both East Fife in in February two thousand and one. You spent the second half of that season uh, on loan at Bayview. Thirteen games you played, and um, for them, two goals as well. We um, a, a, a very <laughs> successful spell. <laughs> yeah, uh, what? How that came about
2: was. That was at the time, when you touched on it there, that the Dundee, they went down a route of, they took in the Italian managers, so the people that might remember the Benetti brothers. So they came in and I think the thought process behind it was bring in loads of foreigners and we'll sell them on and we'll make lots of money. And it, and it sounds great, but if you don't sell them, what then tends to happen is you have then stuck with big players there on big wages and Dundee would get a four or five thousand they couldn't uh, couldn't cope with that, ended up going into administration. But when I seen all these players coming in, as a young boy, I felt I was maybe re- maybe not ready to play every week, but ready to be involved with first team. And we weren't getting the opportunity because what Dundee started doing then was they were actually bringing 17, 18-year-olds across from Italy that were going on yeah. the bench and stuff. So we looked at that and I thought, I need to go out and get first team experience. So that's why I went to East Fife. And as you said, there are two games in 19, which is prolific. So <laughs> um, I think that's the... I think that was the best return in my whole career. But um, but what I did gain then was match day experience of competing with growing men that are fighting for maybe a £100 win bonus. And that's a lot of money for people. So you go from playing under-21 football on a Monday night where some people have actually been quoted saying, oh, the result doesn't matter. To me, that's a lot of nonsense because the result does matter because it's okay as a full-back or as a defender saying, oh, I've done okay today, but we lost 3-0. <laughs> If I was at East Fife and I was come off on a Saturday saying, Well, oh, I don't okay today. We lost 3-0 and there was three points up for grabs there. So it's a total if I, if I can give any experience to any young players, if you've got a chance to play football on a Saturday at three o'clock with a crowd there, when it's all about winning. It's about uh competing. It's not about, oh, I played a great pass there, okay, but you're a defender, you got skinned three times and the boy put the cross in and he scored two from it. That's it's about I'm a big I'm a big believer on nowadays that we Maybe molly coddles a bit much, but mm. I think we'll let young players away with, oh, he's only young, he's only this. Wayne Rooney at the age of 16, 17 was throwing Sol Campbell about <laughs> right? on, on his debut against Arsenal. And mm. I think that we possibly molly cuddle our uh, young players too much now and we're expecting them. People say, oh, the result doesn't matter. But then they go into the first team on a, on a Saturday, 18 or 19, and all of a sudden they're expected to have this winning mentality. If they're not brought up with a winning mentality, how can they expect to switch that on on a Saturday? Yeah. Because if you ask a first-team manager, I'll tell you the only thing he cares about is the result on a Saturday. Because if not, he's seen it with Stephen Glass. First five, six games under pressure because they weren't getting results. Turned it around now looking looking good. The team's strong. So for me, that's something that I gained by going and experience. Uh, I gained that experience by going out on loan was a winning mentality that guys are caring. You need to put your head where it hurts. You need to go and do whatever you can to try and get that three points. And, so I I was basically forced to go on loan because I wasn't getting any first team football. And I, I would encourage any young player if they've got a chance to go on loan, they need to go and do it just to experience it. They're putting themselves in the shop window as well because mm. it might not happen for them at their parent club. But yeah. They're putting a chance. I always look back to the guy. I think it was Liam Henderson at, at Celtic, mm-hmm. and he went on loan to Hibbs. Uh, ended up winning. I think did they win the the first yeah, championship?
1: It was and then win the, the Scottish
2: Cup won the Scottish Cup. I think he went on loan abroad as well. I think in the space of three years, he played 100 games, mm. won two leagues and won a cup. Or he could have stayed at Celtic. no one knew who he was and he'd maybe played 30, 40, 50, 60 reserve games. Yeah. Now he's now playing the Serie A because he's put himself in the shop window. So I'm all for going on loan and getting experience because, as I say, it, it can only help you and it helps you man up as well and you have, you have to, it's the old uh, sink or swim. You, yeah. Yeah. You you need to grow up, and and I definitely felt that like I benefited from going loan hundred percent.
1: Yeah, and, and and that that sentiment that you just echoed there was kind of similar to what uh, Neil Simpson's kind of come out in the in the press and said about Aberdeen's uh, view on the the youth players. Just now, obviously, we've seen a lot of players going on loan, both Kevin and Ratty. He was on loan at for Martin for the the first part of the season. He's now been recalled and, and sent to Elgin to test him. He's obviously you know. Done, uh respectively well at, uh, for Martin in the Highland League and now he's been moved up into to League Two to try and, and test himself at that level. But but Lee, for you as a, as a young center back, how much was that experience playing at a, a league level? You know, you then after your, your time at East Fife spent a full season uh, at Falkirk as well. So, you know, you was that again just you going out to to get your opportunity there?
2: Yeah, as I say, I, I thought, right, I'll go back and we'll see how this season uh, pans out. But it was the same again. I thought, right, I'm not getting an opportunity, so I need to go again. Luckily, Falkirk were interested. They were a league higher. Falkirk were looking to go and win the league, so you're under pressure as a young kid. And I, never even pl- I don't think I played the first dozen games, and that, again, was a big test of character. Right? Okay, what do I do? Do I go back to Dundee sulking, or do I stay and try and fight and get into the team? And But you're in there again. Look, look competing with grown men that are, I remember uh, Paul Wright was there. So you're looking at a guy who played at the top level his whole, whole career. He's coming down, he's like 36, 37. Experienced strikers and people you're learning from and training every single day. You're learning on a Saturday by watching them and just being around those people and being in that match day environment at three o'clock on a Saturday is something that not many people will have done, but young young players will do because the game might be a Tuesday afternoon at Breakin, for instance, or it might be like a, a Wednesday night but just playing at three o'clock on a Saturday in front of a crowd, whether it's 100, 300, 3,000, it's just, for me, it, it's a grounding and it's a start for you to think, right, this is the start of my football career. And mm-hmm. I, I'm very grateful for the for the clubs that took the opportunity to take me on loan because it definitely helped me um, go and progress as a player. And then fortunately, when I went back to Dundee, I managed to get a chance and and break into the team. So, And that all came from getting that experience while being out on loan.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that does bring us on nicely. Uh, obviously, those those lone moves stood you in good stead. You then went on to make your league debut for Dundee against Hearts in the 0-2, uh, 3 season. How did you feel that sort of started to pan out for you when you are breaking into that first team? Obviously, we'll get on to the cup run as well, which uh, you played your part in. It was great because if you look back at that team who had the likes of uh, Georgian Mzazi,
2: Gavin Ray, Fabian Caballero, it was an incredible squad of players that we had. Um, so to get involved with that, was Jim Duffy. He was the manager. Uh, the Benettis moved on. Jim Duffy came in, and he gave me my opportunity. And I think I started, the start of that game was left left midfield. The midfield three was me, Georgie Numzadzi, and Gavin Ray. And then obviously ended up back as a centre-back. But that was where I started my, my debut for Dundee. And I think we drew the game. I think Nacho Novo made his debut as well. So um, it was a great time, but a great squad of players. And learning from guys like Georgie Numzadzi, the, the captain of Georgia, Gavin Ray has already touched on. I to have a great career. Rangers, Cardiff, Scotland Caps. Barry Smith, the best professional you ever meet in your life. So being a right surrounded by those guys, it could only bring you up the way. And then you could just, all you done was just copy what they'd done. They worked hard every single day. Good professionals. And I like to say, that's, I wasn't the best player in my career, not at all. But what I did do was I
0: gave 100% to everything and, and one of the hardest working in every dressing room I was in. So um, between that and obviously the players you mentioned there, sort of paid dividends uh, ended up in the Scottish Cup final that year unfortunately losing uh, 1-0 to Rangers in the end but he did knock out um, Aberdeen along the way Nacho Novo and uh, Steve Lovell scoring latter perhaps would be a good guess the show former not so much <laughs> uh, might be an interesting one but sort of what was that experience like um, and I suppose also we've got to touch on uh, as mentioned knocking Aberdeen your hometown club out on the way Being an
2: Aberdonian and being an Aberdeen fan I used to I used to train at Potodri actually from when I was nine till I was 14. I used to train the Tuesday and a Thursday on the red ash pitch across from Potodri. Used to train there. And then I got the letter, I think I've still got the letter actually from Drew Jarvie saying, I'm not progressing good enough. So basically, the scouts will keep an eye on him, blah, blah, blah. So basically, just being let go in a gentle way. And I remember it breaking my heart as a 14 year old. So when I then made it as a professional, being an Aberdonian and used to go to Pataudry every week, used to go and love Theo Snelder's Hansel House. So that year I was just incredible. So the first fixture I looked for was the Aberdeen games. I just used to love playing against Aberdeen. And when we were at Dundee at the time, Aberdeen never had a good team then. So we had, we, we, were, we were probably better than them then. We had a good a good record against them. And I remember the cup game you're talking about, they were beating 2-0. But that was the strikers that we had then. Stevie Lovell Nacho Novo, they scored unbelievable goals. I would I would have hated to play against them because their pace was unbelievable. So, um, But yeah, we went on a great run, got to the cup final, Scottish Cup, and I just remember it and I thought, wow, well, what a what a day it was unfortunately uh rangers beat us 1-0 and scored with what, 10 minutes to go i think we've got beat 1-0 but it was a great experience and i remember looking back on it and thinking right this is what i want more days like this in my career and i managed to i think i won eventually won a cup no doubt you'll talk about it later in this but i think it was the fourth time of asking to get into the cup final so i think i lost three and then i won my fourth one so and um, so it was, a, it was good to eventually win one but what a day out at Hamden for the cup final and things. But um, yeah, beating Aberdeen along the way as an Aberdonian was, is good, but it's obviously not good because obviously you support them. But as I say, that was the game that I always looked for was playing at Pataudry or playing against Aberdeen. And when you get them in a the cup, then you know Aberdeen, great crowds and stuff like that. So I remember it being a great atmosphere, but
1: yeah, a great game. In the cup final itself, what was that like to take for for you? The the defeat itself, obviously coming so close, running running Rangers as, as far as you guys did, was it tough for you personally? Obviously, I know for for Dundee, if there's Dundee fans tuning into this, they'll probably still have you know and maybe nightmares about that game in general. But for you as a youngster, your your first taste of a, a cup final, how did you feel after that game?
2: It was one of those that you're thinking you probably took it for granted because you're so young. You think, oh, these cup finals are going to come along all, all the time. Um, and I remember when I won the League Cup with St, John, uh, St. Mirren, sorry, and I said to the likes of John McGinn, and said, look, you need to experience this and enjoy it because these things don't come along so often. And how wrong was I? John McGinn's also went on to be an unbelievable <laughs> player. He's won, he's won the cup a couple of years later with him and stuff potentially a way to sign from Man United in his transfer window. That's rumours anyway. But it's one of those things that they don't come along very often. And I remember, I can't remember much from the game. I remember walking out in the fireworks. I remember Barry Smith hitting the post from 25 yards. I seen him line up to hit it and I thought, Barry, what are you doing? You've never scored for there in your life. And then when you hit it, I thought, oh. So, um, but yeah, just little things like that. And then I remember, I remember doing a tackle on Barry Ferguson and then obviously I remember Amaruso's goal, so it wasn't much to remember. But looking back and and just I, I, what I do remember was I think my whole family were down. They hired a bus and they came down. I think I had fifteen family members down for the game, and it was just an incredible day all around. But just unfortunately, we just fell short of winning the cup. But that's one thing I now regret is not winning more cup finals after getting there, getting to so many finals, and um, because that's the one thing you look back in your career and people will say, "What did you win?" and then one winner's medal and three, and three loser medals. But it's um, as I say, it was good to eventually get that one winner's medal. Yeah,
1: I'm sure you still treasure it anyway. But the, the cup final did allow you to get your first taste of European football. Uh, Dundee qualifying uh, to the, the UEFA Cup as it was at, at the time. And it was a trip to Albania. Vilas uh, Nea. I don't know what the second part is, but it was a 6-0 win over the Albanians. Do you remember much about that? about that game in particular because I know you played the the home leg which was a, a 4-0 win I remember, I remember the away leg and I remember going there I think no I'll
2: tell you what it was after the first leg the next day you know like you're buying the newspapers and stuff and it was a big thing about I'm sure it was match fixing and mm. then it was like oh the game was fixed and we were like what just pumped them four 0 There's no way they've they've laid down to let us beat them four 0 So, um, so we thought, right, what we're going to get the second leg we'll go across. It. I remember it being roasting and I remember us staying in the worst hotel in the world. And I was rooming with Lee Wilkie for the guys that can remember Lee Wilkie. Lee Wilkie's about eight foot tall, right, and he's, and he's this size, and the beds were tiny, and so my legs were hanging off the bottom. So God knows how he managed to sleep that night. But I remember one story that the the, the day of the game and the the kit man and that went up and they just go for a walk out the hotel and stuff. And the kit man came back and he says he was nearly sick at the side of the road because a guy just at the side of the road just cut a sheep's head off and there was just blood everywhere. And he's like, mm. and they said, you thought he was being back. I thought he was back in Dundee for a minute, but it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, good times. And as I say, we went on, we got through that round. I can't remember who it was we got in the next round. You've
1: got um, Perugia, the Italian side, which you lost narrowly yeah, at home 2-1. And then uh, at home, so he conceded two away goals and then a, a 1-0 defeat uh, over in Italy, a 3-1 on aggregate. You, you had right, a yeah. respectable, respectable performance. I think it was, was down as.
2: Yeah, I, rem- I remember that night at Dens, and it was amazing. Dens is an amazing... Any football stadium's great at nights under the lights, but Dens is just a special place at night. It's just... Unless you've experienced it, it's just one of those that you'll have to take someone's word for it. And I remember that night and it was amazing against Chievo. Dundee, not very never in Europe, and then also to get a big club like Kievo coming across, and uh, no, Perugia, sorry, we played mm-hmm. Kievo as a friendly uh, okay. pre-season through the Benetis, um, and, and it was just a great experience, and I remember going to the away game and just standing there and being on, thinking, this is what you want in your career, to be playing in games like this, and, fortunately with Aberdeen I managed to experience that again but see for the teams that are playing in Europe and that every single week and every year sorry it's Mm -hmm. just it must be an unbelievable buzz to be playing at that level every single week and because it's something that I look back on now very proud of just I would love to have had more of those experiences.
1: Yeah yeah, absolutely and you know it was it was a good time You, you must have spent at Dundee good grounding as you've alluded to and great experiences cup final European football but after just missing two games in the, the two thousand and three four season, an opportunity arised for you to to test yourself in a different league, a different environment, and you found yourself moving to to Stockport County. How how did that come about, and and why Stockport? Maybe Dundee fans were thinking. Yeah, well, it, it's it's one of those that you thought
2: you've seen, every, not every, but most footballer thinks right. I want to try myself down south. A because it's like odds. Oh, It's dramatised, it's bigger, it's better, supposedly, but I'm not going to lie, as a professional footballer, you think that you've got a chance to go and double your earnings, you're Mm going to go and take it, right? So there was that opportunity, but I'll be honest, it wasn't the thought of Stockport that made, oh, brilliant. I thought that was a stepping stone into do well there for a year, maybe a Coventry will come and buy you for $3 and you'll maybe treble or quadruple your wages again. And You can maybe, you see players moving about the lower leagues in England, Hardly any people know them, but they'll be set up for the rest of their life financially. And that's what I thought. This gives me an opportunity to maybe go down there and do that. But it was the exact opposite. I went down there, never enjoyed it, was in and out of the team. And I ended up back up the road six months later in the next transfer window. But it just it never worked out the way I planned uh, I for it to happen. And it was just, yeah, it was just one of those experiences that I'm glad I've done it. I've never I've not got any regrets because at the time you do decisions. You take decisions that are right for you. Maybe yeah. looking back now, you could have had other opportunities. I think Hibbs were interested in that at the time, but I thought, I don't want to go from Dundee to Hibbs because I love my time at Dundee. The reason that I left Dundee was because they went through um, administration and it wasn't really the best time. So I thought, right, if I can move on, I've got a chance to move on. I'll try down south. And as I say, it never really worked out. And then I was back up the road six months later.
1: Yeah, with, um, with the greatest of respect um, to just kind of what you touched on there and maybe certain players in general, in Scotland might have this mindset, but do you think there are young players that do just view, because it was League One that you played in at the time, the, the opportunity to kind of touch what you said there, move to a club in League One and have that opportunity, maybe if they have a good year and treble their wages, is there maybe players in Scotland that should maybe, I know it's easy to, to say with, with hindsight, but think on that that bigger picture instead of chasing the money.
2: It's one of those, right? But if you was to go and say to a joiner, right, you've got a chance to go and move to another 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 joiner business, but you're going to treble your income. What are you going to do?
1: Yeah,
2: um, you're also going to test yourself. And as I say, I wasn't looking at it as just I'm, I'm doubling my money. I doubled my money going to Stockport, right? Mm-hmm. But I wasn't looking at it just that. I was looking at it as a stepping stone into England to then go and maybe I think it was a Coca-Cola League One it was called back then for <laughs> the for all the old members they'll the, they'll know. And um, but I was looking at that for a stepping stone to maybe then get a bigger move, but. What I found out when I went down there was they were all athletes. For people that know me, I was built like the side of a fiver, right? And so I'm playing against strikers that were maybe not the best technically, but they were faster, they were stronger, they were fitter. And I remember looking at myself, you assess your career afterwards and you think faster, stronger, fitter. That's three things you can work on yourself. So any professional footballer should be, they should not be, they're not, they're not fast and strong because they've not worked hard at it. It's something that we can all work harder at. And it's things I look back on and think, why did I not work harder on that? Why was I not faster or stronger? Why was I not, as, as a centre-half, why was I not bullying strikers? Why were they bullying me? Mm-hmm. That's things that you can work on yourself. So I look back and probably the only I regret that I would have is that I could have done more of that side of my game to, to go and help you. Because, as I say, when I went down there, it was just totally, it was just totally like, big guys first first and foremost kick the ball head the ball as far as you can but your guy doesn't out muscle you he doesn't outrun you and that's where i'll be honest i struggled with that side of the game because um i remember trying to take the ball down and try and play and he says no no what are you doing he says hit it in channels hit it in channels and the wingers were right you want you to get 30 balls in the box so that was the sort of tactics it was at that level Mm -hmm. and but we had looking back at that stockport team we had an unbelievable team we had uh arsley williams center half he went Mm -hmm. on to go and captain wales um, we had uh, Ricky Lambert, striker, went on to play for England, uh, play for Liverpool. Uh, there was a few other guys, Warren Feeney went on to play for Ireland, Jim Goodwin in the middle of the park. So we had a great team of players that had went on to have great careers, but
1: unfortunately for me, it didn't last too long. Six months, as I say, I was back on the road. Uh, some some good name drops in, in that six-month time period, but it was a return to the City of Discovery after um, your six months down in Stockport, but not to the side that you left. It was uh, to Tannadice that you ended up, with Jim Duffy calling it a bit of a personal betrayal as he thought you'd committed a return to, to Dens Park. Yeah. Did you betray Jim Duffy? I, I wouldn't like to be on the wrong wrong end of him, no. that's for sure. No, not at
2: all. And I've, uh, uh, this question comes up all the time because I got slaughtered for it. Because what was happening was uh, my agent knew that I wasn't happy down there, so we're we'll try to get a move back to Scotland. And everything was done for me to sing for Dundee United. And um, so as soon as the window open, and you're moving back up to Dundee United, Dundee United had a big squad at the time. They then came back and said, "We need to get rid of three players before we can then take Lee in because the squad's too big." Jim Duffy found out about this and he phoned me. But what made this really difficult is because when I was at Dundee, me and Jim Duffy got on very well. He was my manager, and even when I was down at Stockport, not having a good time, I would phone Jim Duffy maybe once, uh, once a month or whatever. Just and he said, "Look, Lee, keep yourself fit, keep yourself going, keep your head right in the game." And thus, you never know when you're going to get a chance. You just make sure you're ready. So when he phoned me and he says, "Look, Lee, I've heard the Dundee United deals fell through. Will you come and sign for us again?" And I was like. I said, right, I need to go and make a few phone calls. The reason I left Dundee is because they went to administration a year before. So it was quite unstable. And look, don't get me wrong, Dundee took me from a kid at 16 from school and gave me great, eight great years. So I love Dundee. I absolutely love the club to bits. So it was a big decision for me because, so I then I phoned my agent. I phoned a few players I respect. So Gavin Ray asking for advice, phoned my mum and dad and stuff. And then my agent phoned me back and says, Lee, well, Dundee United have found out that Dundee have come in for you. The deals on you can sign for them, so and I'm not gonna lie, I've told everyone this, I've even told Jim Duffy this <laughs> because they knew Dundee were coming in for me, they offered me more money again. Mm. So, Dundee United were here pushing for Europe because they had Eddie Thompson there, they were signing big players. Yeah. Derek McInnes came from the captain of West Brom up to Dundee United's because uh, Paul Ritchie big, big squad of players that were making a push and then you had Dundee who had just been in administration, team of love by the way, right? Mm-hmm. Who were fighting uh, fighting uh, relegation. So it was a big, big decision even though some people might say ah, it's a no-brainer but I then, so I phoned Jim Duffy back and I said to him, I said, look, Dundee United have came back in and the deal's on. And he just went mental. He went absolutely mental. And it broke my heart a little bit because, like I say, he was like a, a football father figure because mm-hmm. he looked after me. He gave me, gave me my debut at Dundee and he looked after me through the tough times. So when I said to him, I said, look, Dundee, they've came back in. And he just said, right, if you sign for them, you can go and bloody sign for them. I'll read it in the paper. If you want to sign for us, uh, you can, yeah, you can give me a phone. And he hung up on me. And I was sitting there and I thought, I was, I was gutted because I didn't want the relationship to end like that, um, but then, as I say, I phoned people and stuff, and they said, Lee, it's a no-brainer. Dundee United, a three-year contract, more money, they're pushing for Europe, so I just I decided to then just, right, I was going to sign for Dundee United, and then I remember driving up from Stockport to Dundee United the next day, and a guy from The Sun, Robert Greve, he phoned me, and he says, Lee, what the hell have you done to Jim Duffy? I says, what do you mean? He says, Lee, as a journalist, we have just had the best press conference we can ever ask for. And he was saying things, and he was like, and you can bloody print that in a paper. I'm not bothered. You don't need to edit it. He was like, he's a Judas. He's went across the road for more money. So I was like, "Ah, bloody hell, this is the last thing I need. It's already going to go tough. It's going to be tough crossing the road. But when you've got the manager flinging that stuff at you as well, it's going to be tough. So I got up to Tanadice, and I was in the chairman's uh in the chairman's room, I waited to go and sign the contract and in Dundee in the ev- evenings to get an a evening newspaper comes out every evening, it's called the Evening Tilly. So the press conference was obviously, obviously that afternoon, so the Evening Telegraph was sitting there and I turned it over and there was a big picture of me and the big headline was Mayor of the Judas and I was like, oh <laughs> Jesus. So that was, that was a start to the Dundee, Dundee United career. So as you can imagine, the Dundee fans weren't too happy. But I think when they understand the story and they understand what I've just spoke about, there, I think they do see it as right. Okay, you had a chance to go earn more money, a team pushing for Europe and things. So it's um, a lot of them have let me off with that. But yeah, there's still some that are are not too happy and they'll never forgive me. Uh,
1: probably a blessing in disguise that social media wasn't as big as it is now uh, when you made that made that decision to to sign for Dungeon United.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, because you see things on social media now and it's done within a minute and then within two minutes, 20,000 people have seen it and that would just be, oh yeah, things would be highlighted and yeah, so luckily luckily, I played in the olden days so there was no social media.
1: <laughs> but your re- return to uh, Scotland maybe didn't work out as well as you'd hoped for and uh, not due to, to form or anything but you were unlucky to suffer a, a serious knee injury that, that ruled you out for the season after just, just seven games back, back in Scotland. How tough was that for you mentally? Obviously, you, you touched on there the struggles that you had at Stockport, but then to to suffer, uh, you know, a significant serious injury.
2: Yeah,
1: I look on that and think that my whole career suffered on the back of that because
2: I was coming back up to go and kickstart my career again. And I thought, right, let's go and get in a three year in a three year contract. Let's go and see if we can play close to hundred games. Get them under your belt. Dundee United got into Europe and things. Games that I ended up missing out on because of uh, an injury. They got to a Scottish Cup final as well. They lost to Celtic. I missed out on that, so it was very tough because I ruptured my medial ligament. Ended up being out for, I think, throughout the whole two and a half or three-year contract that I signed there. I think I only played about thirty games because the knee injury never really recovered properly. And even when I signed for Aberdeen after that, Aberdeen made me go through a thorough. uh, examination, I went for scans and everything because they obviously seen that, hang on, the last three years you've not played many games, but my knee as I say, it was never it was never right after that and uh, probably, and I was just, I wouldn't say I was ever 100% fit because I don't think any footballer's is ever 100% fit, they're always playing with some sort of niggle, right, so, but that did sort of hinder me and I never really properly recovered from that, but yeah, it was a sore one, it was a sore one to take because you want to hit the ground running, especially when you're going from Dundee to Dundee United because the Dundee United fans are still, still some of them that don't like you. So you then need to go and prove a point to them. So some of them will probably think oh, he sat here for two and a half years and just took his money. He hardly played. So uh, it was, yeah, it, it wasn't a nice time. Also, I was getting death threats because I'd moved from Dundee to Dundee United. So I'd lived in Aberdeen and I, and I travelled. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it wasn't a good time mentally, physically, everything. It was just one of those you thought, right, you just... You just have to deal with it. <clears throat> you have to deal with it. It's a side of football that people don't really understand. As as a footballer, you just want to play, and if you can't because you're injured, but you've got points to prove, you're under even more pressure. You're taking that stress home to your family, and it's just yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a good two and a half years, but it was actually uh, it's just it happens in football,
1: and I was unfortunately that I had I had to deal with. it. Yeah, and, and just before we come on to that that move uh, to Aberdeen, how, how did you deal with that that sort of thing that you said there? you know, death threats and, and the mental side of things. Did you at the time, was there a good support network? You know, I hear players, we, we spoke to Richie Byrne previously uh, on, on the podcast, a, a former teammate of yours at Aberdeen, and when he spoke about his kind of injury hell, he wishes there was maybe more support around at the time. Did you, did you have decent support for you, both with the injury and the, 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 the threats that you were receiving at the time? I'll be honest, see, with the threats... Again, probably
2: glad that there was no social media because then that would have been highlighted and there would have been that big worldwide story. And back then, you probably probably just laughed it off. I don't even think I even reported it to the club. But it was just like some people got holding my phone number and they were oh, just okay. leaving voice notes and stuff like that. But you probably I probably just laughed it off at the time. Um, but the injury, injuries is a hard thing for footballers because you tend to just be in with a physio. And the big thing with a footballer is you, you love the dressing room, you love the banter in there, the camaraderie. You walk into a dressing room and somebody's getting the mickey taken out of them or there's a little game being invented or somebody's looking at a stupid video on their phone. So There's always a laugh going on and you tend to miss that. Uh, the build-up to a game on Saturday as well, you miss that. and As I say, you're maybe away swimming with a physio and it's just, that's tough. That, that's the side of a game that people think is tough and they think, oh, look at him, he's not played for the last few months, he's sitting there taking his money. Believe me, most footballers rather take half the money to play on a Saturday than go through the injury hell of not knowing when they're going to play again. Or the worst thing is it happened to me, you think, brilliant, I'm back fit again. And then you break down and you're out for another three months. So it's 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 a roller coaster of emotions, but it's something that when you get through it, like anything in life, everything in life, there's challenges all the time. When you get through them, you're stronger for it. And as a professional <laughs> footballer, you're, you're exact same. But it's just it's tough, it's tough to deal with the time. But and that's one thing that I always said if I got into football management, I would make all injured players and suspended players now always feel part of a squad because there's nothing worse than feeling left out. You just want everyone to be part of it, and, and that creates an even bigger camaraderie and, and a team spirit. Which, when you get a great team spirit, it's amazing what can happen on a pitch. You don't have to be the best team, but if you've got a team spirit, then you can go on and achieve amazing things. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough to answer your question. It was tough, but as I say, you just got to you just got to crack on and get through it. Yeah,
1: well, I appreciate the the honesty there.
0: Certainly, and although um, you did have all those you know, the injury problems and then off-the-pitch issues uh, with some different things, you did, however, score against Rangers in the 06-07 season, which not for any for any football, I suppose, is uh, a thoroughly enjoyable moment, let alone when you've grown up in Aberdeen, uh, been on the books at Aberdeen, and an Aberdeen fan. If you do remember that, I'm aware it's probably quite the blur. How was that for you? I remember at the time... That being very very frustrated because we were bottom of the league
2: and um, the manager had just been sacked and it was Craig Levine's first game. So Craig Levine had came in the first game live on Sky against Rangers and you're up against it. And I remember it was one of those that I was frustrated because I'd got into the team, scored the winner, and I was gutted for Craig Brewster because he was the manager that had just been sacked. And I never really got to play under Craig Brewster because I was injured the whole time and he was under pressure. He, he wasn't there as a manager long. I don't even know if I played a handful of games for him because I was never fit enough to do it. So I was, it was a frustrating time in my career. And um, But don't get me wrong, it's great to score a winner. And I think it was the fifth of, it was on Bonfair night. So every Bonfair night, all, all the memories pop up on my Facebook and stuff like that. So I'm always sticking out there just to wind up the Rangers fans. It's always a good one. You get the same people biting every single year. It's good. It's good. But um, yeah, it was great. It was great to score the winner. I think I got man the match that day as well. So it was a good memory. One, one of the one positives from my Dundee United career. But yeah, looking back to that time, it was frustrating um, because, as I say, we're bottom in the league and coming back from injury and stuff like that. But I just wish, yeah, my whole time at Dundee, I just wish I'd managed to go and get a proper run of games and and, and seeing what, what we could have achieved from that. Because with a great squad, and yeah, we just never seemed to click on
0: on, on match day. Yeah, and who knows, I suppose, where you would have ended up uh, if, if that had been the case. But come the summer of 2007, Aberdeen came a-knocking. Uh, how, how did that sort of come about? When did that? Uh, you first hear of that interest?
2: Well, it was one of those that I was coming, I was in the last six months from a contract. Craig Levine had just come in as a Dundee United manager and he was wanting to assess the squad before he made any decisions. So. My wife was due, uh, was pregnant with twins. We had twin daughters on the way. And so I I was knocking the door saying, look, Craig Levine, I need to know what's happening with my career because I've got a wife expecting kids, blah, blah, blah. Um, And he says, Lee, I'm not in a position to go and make any decisions just now because I need to assess the squad. We need to see where we are. We're still lingering bottom of the league. So he didn't know what budget he had for next year. So as all agents do, agents then start putting the feelers out. And Jimmy Calderwood said he was interested. So as soon as I knew that, being an Aberdonian, being an Aberdeen fan, it was right, let's get this deal done as soon as we possibly can. So it was just a case of meeting for talks. And I remember the talks took literally five minutes, not even that. Calderwood says he was interested. I never told any of my family I was going up for the, for these talks. And uh, so we drove up and literally Jimmy Calderwood says, right, there's the offer. I says, right, okay, Brown, I'll sign it. No negotiations whatsoever. It was a case of, right, I'm signing it. I'm just delighted to, to be signing for Aberdeen. Looking back now, that was stupid. I could have probably got more money out of them. But anyway, it's. Uh, I, was just, I was just so happy to sign for Aberdeen. And then I remember afterwards phoning my mum. She says, where are you? What's the matter? Says, I don't know. She's got a sixth sense. She says, there's something up. What is it? I says, no, no, I'm just I'm on Union Street. She says, what are you doing Union Street? I said, I've just signed for Aberdeen. And the whole family were just ecstatic because, as I say, being Aberdonians, being from the city, Supporting the club, it was just an amazing time for us for me to go back. And after being released as a 14-year-old to go back 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. later, 10, 15, 12 years later,
0: uh, it was just a, a, great, a great time for us. Mm. We did have in the notes uh, to ask whether it was an easy decision, but it sounds like uh, maybe the easiest decision you had. Although slightly tougher task, maybe getting more money out of Stuart Mill, regardless if you, you didn't make it so quickly. <laughs> uh, was there sort of any other interest around the time or was it just head down straight to Aberdeen?
2: No, there, there, was, there was a few little sniffs here and there, but as soon as Aberdeen were interested, it was a case, I just said, hey, right, let's pursue this, see what we need to do to go and get talk started. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Literally, it was less than five minutes. Remember the chat, me my agent, Jimmy Calderwood, and it was done within five minutes and that was it. The one thing I remember being absolutely gutted about was signing for Aberdeen and you're thinking, brilliant, you've got guys like Russell Anderson there. Personally, I wanted to go in and play alongside Russell Anderson mm-hmm. because obviously he's an absolute legend, great player for the club. Aberdeen sold him as, and then Jimmy, and I remember Jimmy called him with, don't worry, we've got the replacement for Russell Anderson. I thought, fucking hell, no pressure, eh? And mm-hmm. um, so, and then he also said, oh, Lee's like signing five players because you can play left back, centre half either centre half right back or sitting midfielder or something hang on five players and up the next Russell Anderson so there's yeah. no pressure he yeah. So, but yeah that's that's one thing I was gutted about not getting the chance to go and play alongside Russell because obviously what he done for a club is amazing
1: Yeah you got Jackie McIntyre instead we all know how that worked
2: out for Aberdeen <laughs> yeah Jackie Jackie great guy got a hard time from the Aberdeen fans but absolute lovely person great guy and uh, yeah just it never really worked out for him and that happens in football. It happens, as you see, the great career, Celtic, Wolves, Scotland, but it just just never really worked out, and it's just it's unfortunate how these things happen.
0: Um, unfortunately, um Aberdeen, in terms of on the park, uh, start off with a few bad results. Not not, not blaming you, Lee, but maybe the fact you were, you know, had the had the pressure of playing uh, five positions and all that sort of stuff being the cover man. Um lost to Dundee United. First game. How 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 was that one for you? Having you know just left them with your experience there. Uh, how that sort of panned out?
2: I think if I remember correctly, I came off at half time because I hurt the same knee that I'd struggled. Mm-hmm. So it was it was the worst debut ever. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember I remember actually starting okay, and because you're thinking you're under pressure, debut ipitodri for Aberdeen. Something I have dreamed about my whole life. I used mm-hmm. to sit in the Merkland end and think, wow, how good would that be to be playing out there. Um, so I've got a chance to go and do this went up for a header landed awkwardly and I thought oh that, that wasn't right there so I remember talking to physio and he'd done his knee tests and stuff and he said oh, you need to come off and I think I was out for so going from again you said you wanted to hit the ground running with a new club it's exact same like done United came off at half time because in the pre-season games we went to Egypt yeah. and it was amazing so and I was doing really well and we'll go in with the, the Evening Express because everyone's judged by your rate you get in the Evening Express. Oh, yeah. I've I got man in the match in about three of the four games have done in Egypt and I thought, brilliant, off to a flyer. First game of the season, off injured at halftime and I thought, bloody hell, what chance? So, and then mm-hmm. it was a case again, having to prove yourself, get back from injury and stuff. So it was chasing my tail from then on and then a frustrating two years, if I'm being honest, what to do so well for the club because I support the club, love the club and in and out of the team all the time, and that's used to do my head. And Jimmy Caldwell changing his team every week, changing his formation every week, every five minutes actually. And then you're just in and out. You couldn't really get a run of games as well. So yeah, a little bit frustrating. Uh, I look back in that. I think, don't get me wrong, we had good European Cup runs and things, but it was just. I think it could have been a lot better. Was mm. there was
1: there a tombola in the changing room then? <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke, wasn't it, Jimmy's tombola? It was, but the players used to say that as well. We used to because he used to come in, in and uh a Thursday, and he would name his team for the for the Saturday, and you'd be like, "Okay, so what's it? Talk, what is it? What is it produced this week?" And you'd come out with all these, all these names and stuff. But it was an ongoing joke. But as I say, the players, the players were in on that joke as well.
1: Yeah, and and just to, to interrupt, calm for for next question, for for those that are, that are listening to this interview and maybe haven't heard previous interviews, to go back and, and listen to the Jamie Smith interview that we did because he mentions that that season trip to to Egypt, Lee. And I don't know if you remember the. The car accident—I won't call it a a car crash—that him and Michael Hart found themselves involved in. Do you remember much about that? Because Jamie Smith kind of called it one of the stranger preseason trips that he found himself on.
2: Yeah, it was not normally you go away for maybe five days, but I think this was like two weeks. And I'm not going to lie, right? My wife had just had twins, and I hadn't slept for about a month, so I was delighted (laughs) to get away for two weeks, right? But. I remember it, yeah, it was, it was It was tough because it's obviously hot in Egypt and that as well. But one thing I remember about that is Jimmy Codwood loved a suntan, right? So we would be finished training, we'd be up on the balcony. and we'd, So we'd literally go off the bus, back in the hotel, walked upstairs. You could go straight out in your balcony because you're roasting. And Jimmy Calderwood's already down there in his pants, sunbathing at the side of the pool. And he just loved the sun, absolutely loved it. Every time you seen him, he was just the Brownest, he's like been painted with Ron Seal. It was, uh, but yeah, he just he loved it, but yeah, it was. It was, it was, a, but it's a good trip. See, I think trips like that are great at the start of a season as well because if you've got new signings coming in, um, you've got a chance for them all to mingle and gel and stuff with each other. I remember being in a room actually with Kareem Tuzani. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the time he was going through, I can't remember what it is, when they don't eat when it's when the sun's up. What's it called again? Oh, they fasting. Ramadan. yeah That's it, yeah. So I'm in a room with him, right? So I, I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the hell is that noise? Here he is eating his Rice Krispies and stuff in the morning because he's got to eat while, while the sun was down. But, yeah, good, good experience. As I say, going away on trips like that are great with the boys and stuff, great for mingling and stuff like that. And yeah, as I say, I was, I was rooming with Kareem, who was eating in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, I think there was a picture in the uh, Press and Journal of, I think it was Tuzani, and I don't know whether it was Chris Maguire and or uh, Dave Boss at the time, uh, in and on the camels, uh, that that still sticks in the memory. Uh, yeah, yeah that's right. One day, totally back. I think one day as well,
2: we went on a trip to, to the pyramids, and it was like a four-hour bus journey, and it was just the bus was just covered in flies and you're sitting, everyone's everyone's sitting like this just <laughs> hitting flies for the whole bus journey. And then, But again, it was great because I was actually talking to the daughters the other day and talking about Egypt and I said, oh, I've been to the pyramids and if you've not been to a football club, I, would, I don't think I would ever go on a holiday for something like that. So it's great experience to say that you've been on things like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's great to look back on all these in the, in times and like you mentioned, Dave Buss there, I still, I still talk to Dave well. He's actually... Um, went on very successful property business and things like that now he's also got a sports business back in Holland so I still speak to him every month and it's great to still keep in contact with some players and, and that and see what they do after football mm. but um, yeah yeah good times very good times indeed
0: I can't say I would have had you down to be keeping contact with Dave boss I can't I just don't know why that's that one's taking me that one's taking me but there you yeah. go um unfortunately however back to on the field matters we Aberdeen uh, only won one of six games. Uh, of, of, in the openers I think we'll put it down to you missing out um, Russell Anderson's replacement we'll say that much but yep. Pro was on the horizon do you remember what the, sort of the feelings were uh, ahead of that game obviously it ended up being huge for Aberdeen but was there confidence in their apprehension how was that
2: it's always I remember going there the day before and you get to train on the pitch the day before and I remember that um, there was like a massive fire at the side of the stadium and like all mm-hmm. the smoke was blowing on and, and people were saying they've meant to do that so we couldn't train properly and things. Yeah. And then straight away, I thought, wow, is this what goes on in, in European football? So then I remember that the atmosphere in the stadium was, it, it was one of the, it was quite hostile and you're thinking, wow, this is amazing. Great atmosphere to be involved with. And then what a team they were. They were an unbelievable team. And then obviously we went up 1-0, Darren Make scored. And I was sobbed for the game. And then I can't remember who it was. Somebody must have got injured. I went on at halftime. Yeah,
1: came on for, for Jamie Smith at halftime. Right, OK.
2: Jamie Smith got injured. That's not like him, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we went on. And then and I always remember thinking, right, they need to score two because we've got the way to go here. So they could have scored about 20. Jamie Langfield was unbelievable that night. I think they had the woodwork as well. And yeah. it was just one of those nights that possession must have been with 85%, 15%. Mm -hmm. But it just showed you, as I said, they were a lot better team than us, but the team spirit that we had was just, and it just showed you what we went, we ended up going on that run, getting through the group stages and things, it was just amazing, amazing times to, and great, when you look back on your career, that's the games that you think, wow, playing in Europe for Aberdeen is just a dream come true. Do
1: you remember what Jimmy said to you at halftime, obviously we're 1-0 up, Um, did you have any inkling it was going to be you that was coming on for for Jamie Smith, and and? What was it? What was the words of encouragement ringing in your ears as you as you came out uh, for the second
2: half? I can't remember. It was that long ago, but I'll, I'll guarantee you it would have been someone along the lines of "Don't fucking let them score." Someone along those lines. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I can't remember. I remember. Remember getting drunk on the plane on the way home. That's what I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, um, it was. It was great times. As I say, they were an unbelievable team.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: probably deep down, did we think we would beat them? No. But as I said, it just shows you what can happen if you've got a good team of players, work hard together, great camaraderie. Um, that was just... An am- an am- after the game, I just remember it, and it was just the- an amazing feeling, absolute amazing feeling when you're that big an underdog mm-hmm. to then go and do that an upset like that. It was just incredible,
1: really good yeah, times. Yeah. Yeah, and to name-drop another former player interview, the Richie Byrne, uh, one, if you want to hear uh, what Jimmy said to him before the Atletico Madrid game, you should you should tune in for for that interview and how long it took Richie to ignore the message Jimmy Calderwood gave him before <laughs> the game. But Lee, how did you feel when Dnipro equalised? Because it was a hostile atmosphere and you know Dinipro did rain down loads of pressure. And you, you were right, Jimmy Lanfield did probably have one of his better games for the club that night. Were were you nervous that last fifteen minutes when the goal went in? I think I was nervous the whole
2: 45, to be honest, because they were that good a team. They were putting us that under, under that much pressure. And we knew that we were basically camped in the whole second half. And we knew just wave after wave after wave of attack. And it takes a lot for a team to then, because straight away everyone thinks, I've ah, scored one, they'll go and score two, three, four. And we just managed to keep them out. I don't think, I literally think we were, I remember like Chris Clark getting it in the middle of the park and we were just launching it to no one because we were all like, Bank of five and Bank of five, and it was just a case of right, come and try and break us down. And it was just a case of right, hold our ground, um, try and give as little opportunity to them as possible. But as, as I say, Jamie Langfield, I think he made three or four outstanding saves. Mm. Um, it was just, yeah, it was one of those experiences you just look back on and you think, wow, because it then came from that was the group stages. I think is that right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. And then to get out of the group stages again was just just incredible. So I would uh, say, yeah, a great night. But then what came on the back of that was even better.
1: Yeah, so I've got you down as uh, playing uh, in the game over in, in Greece against panath and um, uh, that was the only group game you you featured in, but you were on the bench for, for the game against Copenhagen, obviously a, a special night. You mentioned earlier in the episode about what Dens is like uh, on European nights under the floodlights. You know, For those tuning in, just know how special Pataudry is under the floodlights in general, let alone a European night as Calum said you know being an Aberdonian and Aberdeen fan were you kind of glad to be on the bench that night and just be able to sit back and enjoy that second half performance or was there a little bit of envy that you did to get on to, to sample it yourself that's that's
2: one thing that Jimmy called me. I was chapping his door every time I was dropped I was knocking his door I said right because I just wanted to play all the time so um, I would, I would not have been happy being on the bench. I guarantee you that. Because as I say, I wanted to play every game, every minute I could for Aberdeen. And but what a night that was! That was just incredible. Jamie, obviously with two wonder goals, it was just to beat Copenhagen four 0 And you just, it just, as I say, it's crazy what happened on that run. And then obviously we got back, got through. We then got Bayern Munich in the next round, and it was just. But that night was just, it was special. It was a great. A great atmosphere, great to be involved with, but I was just, I was gutted that I wasn't playing. As, I mm-hmm. say, as every footballer will tell you, you just want to be playing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're not playing, you don't really feel as much as, as part of it as much, even though you train every day with the boys and you've maybe played previous games and stuff. When you're not playing, you just don't feel that full 100% involved with it.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that, that Richie alluded to when, when we spoke to him as well. But, you know, you said you got drunk on the plane home from Ukraine. How drunk did you get the night that we beat Copenhagen? I don't think I did, like I say, because party is not your part just got it that
2: you've not played. Mm. And the thing is as well, what Jimmy always done was if you never really played, you'd probably train the next day. Okay. You wanted you wanted the players to always keep their fitness up and stuff. So you'd you would train quite a lot of Sundays and stuff Jimmy called with Jimmy Codderwood. So if you never played, you'd you would be training. So um you were trying to keep yourself fit and probably no, so I don't think I went out. I think probably well, I'll guarantee a lot of the boys went out uh, that night. <laughs> so um, but I don't think I was one of them, as I say, I just had the twins and stuff. So I was probably home on, on daddy duty that night. <laughs>
1: um I remember from that, that European campaign, the the obviously uh, we played at Atletico Madrid, as you touched on, uh, over in Madrid. And that was the one game that I was excited to go to. Um, you know, as as a young fan, opportunity to to sample away away football in Europe. Unfortunately, exams got, got in the way of that. So I remember my dad saying, you know, if we get through, no matter wherever, whoever, I'll, I'll take you to the next game. And I remember, we must have been in the car, I don't know where we were, we were going, but I still remember we were at Airy Hall Library and sat on the traffic lights there and the draw came out that we were Bayern Munich and I just looked at him and he looked at me thinking, no way, out of all the places we could have got, it ends up being Munich and, and what a trip that that turned out to be. But before the the home leg league, we'd... We had a, a League Cup semi-final at Tynecastle again, falling to your former side, Dungeonite United, 4-1. Uh, and then five days later, we also got heavily beat by by Celtic, 5-1. I think we were 4-0 4, four nil down after 48 minutes in that game. Because remember, I think it was Scott McDonald bundled the ball home and that was enough for me that day. I'd had enough and I was certainly scared of what Bayern Munich were going to do to us that day. Did the players have that sense of trepidation, or was it just did the players almost view that as a free hit? You know, fans speak about you know games being a free hit when you play bigger sides. Did the players have that sort of uh, feel about the game? I think, yeah, I think you've got that. It's like a cup final,
2: and, and no matter who you are, you raise yourself for a cup final. Everyone does, and, and it, so we're looking at it thinking, wow, you need to be in your on, on your game, and also you would have taken the fact that the last 32 of the European Cup for Aberdeen at Pataudry, a full house. And I, I still get goosebumps now even thinking about it. And I just remember walking out there and just thinking, this is this is what it's all about. This is, as a young boy, this is what it's all about. Playing full Pataudry, under the lights, last 32 of the European Cup against Bayern Munich. It cannot get any better than this. And then we ended up drawing to each. And we were actually gutted that we drew to each because the, it was a very, very dubious penalty that they got. And even then, Jamie saved it and they scored a rebound. So, Okay. I remember, and we're coming off a pitch gutted that we just drew with Bayern Munich, and it was yeah. just as I say, that night was very, very, very special. Best, my best moment for, for Aberdeen without a shadow of a doubt was that night because, as I say, as a, as a kid's dream, sitting in the Merkland end, running about pretending to be Ian Jess as a kid, you then th- that's what you want to then do, and, and to do that was just amazing. To draw to draw with Bayern Munich up at Tordy was just goosebump stuff, goosebump stuff.
0: It was certainly one of my, well, I was a very young Aberdeen fan then, and um, one of my earliest and probably better memories um, that night. I mean, obviously, the two goals from Walker and Sonny Luco. But you came into that game um, starting after what was a, a little bit of a layoff. How did you sort of feel about that? And you sort of look around and obviously the type of calibre they had. Um, and how did you remember them? What do you remember the game itself? Um, do you remember thinking like bloody hell these guys are absolutely quality? I remember, I remember them.
2: I think the rest of a few players. I remember yeah. the pitch being terrible, and I thinking right, <laughs> this this is a this is a leveler here. Um, mm. I remember. I think I'd been injured a couple of a week games before that, um, and I, but I remember training the week leading up to it, and I remember just thinking I'm just going to train like a maniac, and I trained very very well. And Jimmy Cole, as you say, the team weren't on a good run, so you probably thought I'm going to throw Lee in here just to freshen things up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he done. So I remember I played the game, and I but I, rem- I remember someone saying to us afterwards that I think they had in their starting eleven something like seven hundred caps, mm. and we and we had one. Scott Seven had one cap, <laughs> and that sums it up. That's like how big a, a gap it was in golf. But as I said, I said it earlier. I said, look, if you've got a team that are hard working and great camaraderie, anything can happen. And as I say, on that night we end up coming off of there gutted to draw with Bayern Munich and mm-hmm. um, I remember I got it's one thing I'd never done in my career was swap a lot of jerseys and it's one thing that i probably look back on now thinking I could have had Henrik Larsson I could have had quite a few good shirts in my time but I remember after that game I managed to get Philip Lamb's jersey and I've still got it it's, I think it's the only jersey I've swapped in my career so it's um, it was funny right because every on social media I have a laugh on social media tongue-in-cheek stuff Every time after that that Philip Lamb was either on TV playing for Bayern Munich or Germany, I would get the top on and have a photo of me sitting and watching on social media and stuff. But it's great. It's, it's still hung up in my, in my cupboard and it's uh, it's something that you look back on and think, wow, the German captain's jersey, you I've, I've got it. And I've heard that he still wears my jersey as well when I'm playing mm-hmm. and stuff
0: like that. So it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's good to know that I'm well appreciated by Philip Lamb. Yeah, I was about to say, you think he's got that hanging up, pride of place uh, above the mantelpiece there. Yeah, I think so. Probably framed in his living room, I think, yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: must be. Um, obviously, after playing uh, at home against Bayern Munich, were you disappointed not to play uh, the week after in the away leg? Um, especially after you said you went in and perhaps, Jimmy, thinking it was it was just a fresh, sort of helped freshen things up after a poor run of form. Absolutely raging, spewing, <laughs> absolutely good. We drew with Munich. He then made one change
2: in the away leg. And I think it was Richard Foster came in for me. And I was like, but what I, what, and what I do remember is I was probably sitting there in the huff, right? A little kid, huff. You get a chance to go and play in Bayern Munich Stadium. Amazing. You remember driving up and it was all lit up and stuff. And if you was there, it was incredible. But I remember just sitting there thinking I was amazed by the dugouts and the seats. They had heated seats. They had heated seats and you could sit there and you could just press a button and put your temperature, the seat at whatever temperature. I don't think I watched the first half. I was in that big a huff. I was just... I was leaning over and like pressing somebody's seat up so that two minutes later they're sweating because they never knew that I'd been putting the temperature in that seat-up. But um, but again, that that was, that was Jimmy Collywood. He used to change a team here and there because some people would think, right, you've had a good result, let's go there and just keep the same team, whatever. But you mix things up and you change things again and it was just, yeah, gutted, absolutely gutted not to play that because it's a chance to go and play at that stadium. It's, as I say, it doesn't happen to everyone and it would have been good to say that I played there, but uh, these things happen, as I said. You just got to the crack thing,
1: on with it. The thing that the I was most taken aback by, uh, obviously, when like you said, when you're driving up to the stadium and seeing it all illuminated in red, was the fact that the tunnel came out of the ground. The ground yeah. almost flattened, and it just lifted up. I was like this is magical. It oh, was um, yes. amazing. The, you should
2: you should have seen the dugout, the changing rooms, and things. Normal at a Scottish a Scottish football club is you've got one little dressing room and there's benches around it. There was like maybe six or seven different rooms off of rooms. You could actually get lost. Like, where is so-and-so? They're in that room there. We also had our own pool. Met, you'll, you you used to remember back in the day that Aberdeen had the old bath in the corner. Oh, yeah. This thing was like a swimming pool. And it was actually quite funny because at the end of the game, we'd just been humped 5-1. And we were all doing cannonballs into this big swimming pool and stuff. It was just, it was great times. But I think it was one of those that we just thought, right, we're not going to be too... Um, disheartened we've had a great run mm. fair enough we've been beat by Bayern Munich but look there's not many better teams can beat you than Bayern Munich so it was a case So we thought right let's just enjoy the experience and it definitely was a great experience as I say going and going getting to go shoulder to shoulder with players like that was just as I said it's mm. things that you'll tell your grandkids about one day
1: Yeah I remember I remember Lucio lashing home that free kick and thinking oh this is going to be a long night I'm sure it was at 1-0 but Maki had a one-on-one Oliver Kahn, and he puts it just the wrong side of the post, and I, yeah. I always remember thinking, "What if yeah. that we probably got beat five two instead?" But um, just how, what that would have been like as a as a celebration of that from the back of the net, oh, it would have
2: been it would have been mental for what what the Aberdeen fans would have remembered of it because I'm guessing they would have been very very drunk. Yeah. But it was yeah, but look, you never know. The crowd then might have got on top of Bayern Munich. Don't get me wrong; they're big professional players that uh, played at the highest level. that can deal with pressure, but look, as I said, you just never know what can happen, and small moments like that can change games and change ties. But um, it wasn't to be, unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm. But um, yeah,
2: g- good times to look back on. Yeah,
0: certainly. And um, well, you mentioned that you know one Scotland cap um, amongst the Aberdeen ranks, and then you look at Bayern Munich seven hundred odd caps between Brazil you know you've got Zero probably um, and you've got all the Germans a young German that uh, you tweeted about air. <laughs> hands up if you've ever swapped jerseys with Tony Gross and gave it away as you didn't know who he was please explain yourself
2: well I remember straight after the game I got drug tested um, because right. what they done was they just picked random numbers in each team and as you're walking off they say look, you've been drug tested you need to go straight into this room So I was straight into this room and sitting there, and I was sitting there for ages, and this young kid was there. Didn't know who he was, and then we just ended up swapping jerseys, and didn't know. And then I remember walking in, I cannot remember who it was, but it says, oh, has anyone got any spare jerseys for me to give to my brother or something like that? And I just said, here, have that one. Gave it away. And I think it happened to be Tony Cruz. I think did he make his debut that game or was it like his second appearance or something Some, like that? Just, something like that, yeah. Just a young kid, and I thought, ah, this young kid's crap, he's never gonna make it. I'm not gonna keep that jersey. <laughs> but um oh, yeah, dear. so 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 that's the story behind that one. But it was uh yeah, as I say, I wasn't a big a big person on collecting jerseys. Um, and as I say, it's one thing I probably look back on now and think. I wish I did because I've seen some players now that've got jerseys from their whole career up on their wall, and I think mm. that looks impressive. But uh, mm. unfortunately, I, I won't have that up on mine.
1: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, as you said, that the, the uh, European adventure came came to an end that that night in in Munich. We did have more progression uh, in the cup front uh, back back home in Scotland as we progressed in a cup replay uh, at Parkhead after. Um, conceding a late-minute, uh, last-minute goal at Taudry to Celtic. We, were, we faced a replay, and Darren Markey once again being the hero. and um, Scoring five minutes after you came onto the pitch, obviously a, a key change to, to influence the game there, Lee. But uh, we're not going to speak about the semi-final too much, as we've done it plenty of times on the, this podcast. After beating Celtic to get to the semi-final, you know, it was two semi-finals we got to that season. How, how disappointing was it that we didn't, Go on to to reach a cup final that year because I still remember um, listening to Walter Smith um, say in an interview uh, a few years back that had Aberdeen gone on to to reach the Scottish Cup final, he sh- you know believes that we would have beaten Rangers in that cup final because their focus was was on the UEFA Cup and and you know mind was elsewhere. So probably one maybe a bit of regret there that season.
2: 100%. I, and obviously, I know the semi-finals are top, but I was injured for both semi-finals.
0: Yeah.
2: and um, But spewing, absolutely spewing, because like I've said, to go and... I used to go to cup finals <coughs> supporting Aberdeen. Um, so to go and play in one would have been absolutely amazing, but it was just... The Queen of the South, was the Queen of the South, was it? 4-3. Yeah. And you just... I remember being injured and me and Jamie Smith drove down to the game and I remember we hardly spoke on the way back. I think... We had in our heads we'd already won that game before we even kicked off. That's exactly what
1: Steve Tosh said when we spoke to him.
2: I think we probably took that too lightly, and I, I just thought, ah, oh, it's Queen of South, we're going to beat them. And then I remember me and Jamie Smith, we got halfway to Aberdeen, and we hardly spoke a word because we were just absolutely flabbergasted because we were injured, thinking, right, let's get fit for a final. Mm. And then we're sitting thinking, wow, I cannot believe that has happened. but. So frustrating, so frustrating. And then I think that was it. Was that Jimmy's last year on the back of that, was
1: it? Uh, on the back of that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, because
2: yeah. so because the Aberdeen fans, they just they want trophies and want finals. And um, it's just the standards that they've set. Always been since the 80s. As I grew up being an Aberdeen fan, winning cups and stuff. And that's the standard that you need to keep. As soon as you drop your standards and then just accept being third, fourth in the league, then what's the point in like, that? You need to go and... Right. Okay, we're going to go and try and win cups this year. That's why one thing that I was disappointed with was Stephen Glass this year. I'm not disappointed because it, I was just I was very very shocked with the Wraith mm-hmm. Rovers away game he, he dropped. He played a weakened team, and I was sitting thinking, as an Aberdeen fan, as an Aberdeen manager, you get to a cup final, it buys you time. On the back of that, he lost five, and rumours has it he was very close to being put out the door. But um, it just shows you as a Aberdeen's big things is cups, right? It's going to be very hard to go and compete with Celtic and Rangers in leagues. It's going to be very, very hard. Big thing is your cups. So your cup games, you give them absolutely everything you've got and, and you, you can't take them lightly. And it just, so being in that position to get to two semi finals, just to get so close, it would have been amazing to go to a final for Aberdeen. But unfortunately, it never happened. And it was just, yeah, another one. As I said, it was it started it was a frustrating two years. And that two things there was just probably. The biggest frustration out of them all is just to get so close and then fall at the final hurdle.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And as Jimmy got another season on on the back of that, was also your last season, the two thousand and eight nine season. You and Jimmy both helping us get into Europe on the last day of the season as we, we beat Hibs. And I remember, you know, coming away from that game and hearing that Jimmy had left, and and, and being just totally shocked by by the news. You know, um, but again as you, you alluded to, their trophies being the main thing. And it was another Scottish Cup defeat, this time at home to Dunfermline uh, on penalties in a, in a replay that maybe was the start of being the, the final straw for, for the fans. But how do you sum up that that second season that you had, had at Aberdeen? Again, similar, frustrating,
2: because in and out of the team, never getting a proper run. And I remember Jimmy Caldwell, he offered him a two-year contract and it was one of those I thought, do I want another? Don't get me wrong, I want a two-year contract, at Aberdeen. I want a 10-year contract at Aberdeen. <laughs> but I then had to probably be selfish and think, right, you only get one football career. I can't have another two years of playing in and out, in and out, and being frustrated. So what I actually really had to the easy option for me would have been to sign that contract. I'm an Aberdeen boy from Aberdeen, had moved back beside my family. My wife's from Aberdeen. She had moved back. She just had the twins. So if we needed help with the kids, everything was on our doorstep. So the easy option for me outside of football would have been to sign that contract. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I I wanted to play football. And so I really had to think about that contract. And I thought, I really don't know. And then there was rumours that Jimmy Caldwell was getting sacked. And I thought, right, okay, if Jimmy Caldwell was getting sacked, I think I might want to sign the contract because I can impress a new manager. I can then... So I remember then going to see Willie Miller and Molly well, says, Lee, I can't offer you the contract because it's up to a new manager, which I totally understood. Okay. It was up to, it's up to a new manager to see who... He's got a budget there. He, might, he Lee, he might not want you. And I totally respect that. and I totally understand that. I says, right, I get it. I says, when you're a new manager? He says, well, you know how long that take, Lee. I don't know when. So being a father, uh, a father of two, a husband, I needed to secure my fu- my future. So Samiran then came in, offered me a three-year contract. And... Um, so so I signed that straight away. And it was it was one of those that I, I wanted to play. And then some people say, Oh, did you regret leaving Aberdeen? I thought, no, because I went because I wanted to play football. I ended up going to St. Marin and then playing 150 games, 149 games, yeah. two cup finals, eventually won a cup. So when I look back on it, as much as it broke my heart leaving Aberdeen, I'd done it for my own career and then I went on to, as I say, to do what I wanted to do my whole career was to win a trophy. So mm-hmm. as much as it was a tough decision, it was, was it the right decision? It's one thing we'll never know, but I ended up getting a trophy out of it. So it's, we can look back and say, yes, I think it was. But um, mm-hmm. a, a tough decision to leave a club you support and love. As mm-hmm. I say, you're from the city to move your whole family away to Glasgow. It's a big decision and then But y- as I say, you, you make these decisions in life based on you at that time. Because you can look back 10 years later, but that's hindsight. In hindsight, we're all multi-millionaires. But you make your <laughs> decision on that moment in time. And then you, that's why I, I, I never look back on decisions and say, oh, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that. Because i had done that and it was right at that moment. And then you just you just live with the consequences. And um, it was tough. But as I say, I went on to have possibly my most successful spell in my career at St. Mirren. So it, it was the right thing to do.
0: Certainly. But just briefly before you move on to your time at St. Mirren, there, um, we've had sort of Jamie Smith previously on the show Richie Byrne um, feel free to check those interviews out uh, for those of you at home after this one uh, no pressure to mention those two but just i was wondering any particular players that you played alongside from your time at the club that stand out uh, in particular and then also Jamie Calder we've got to just get in there what was he like overall as a manager to work for?
2: So we had a great squad I remember Seve was a good player very good player um, Barry Nicholson Shawnee Luco came on loan and mm. done very very well unbelievable talent v- great guy as well really good great to see him go on to, to bigger and better things um, who else did we have Alan Maybray great professional um, I can't even think it was that long ago but we had I wouldn't say right we had many superstars right and that, and that might sound stupid but there wasn't like an Ian Jess or anyone in mm. there right but yeah. we had Good players with good attitudes. And, and that's one thing that I'll say to any young player if they're watching this or anything at all, any tip I can give them, is work hard at your job and, you, and you'll do well. And just have mm-hmm. a great attitude. Remember when I signed for Dundee and John McCormack was a manager, this must have been 1997, and he said you need three things to have a good career. Attitude, attitude, attitude. And I always do that And everything I do in life, it's about having a good attitude. And that's what the that Aberdeen squad had. As I say, no superstars. Good players, no absolute superstars, but great attitude, great work ethic, and a good will—a will to win and a will to do well. But um, yeah, going back on to Jimmy Calderwood, he look—I love the guy because he signed me for Aberdeen, and, and it was my dream to play for Aberdeen. But he frustrated the life out of me. He absolutely frustrated the life out of me because he would change the team all the time. And but the biggest thing that frustrated the life out of me was was he used to used to talk about Rangers all the time. And it was him and jimmy Nichol, big rangers men and i'm sitting thinking hang on a minute we're here at aberdeen i don't give two f's about rangers we're here about aberdeen to troll and it would all be oh, about rangers and you'd have chris mcguire and Xander diamond talking about celtic so you'd mm-hmm. have these two celtic having banter with these two about rangers and i'm sitting thinking i could not care less about the old firm mm-hmm. i literally could not care about them i care about aberdeen and, and us doing well um, and then that, so that used to frustrate the life out of me. That, and uh, I never told him, I was probably too scared to tell him. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, but yeah, look, he, he done well everywhere. He went Dunfermline, got into Europe, Aberdeen got into Europe, Kilmarnock kept him safe, Ross County kept him safe. So he's he's done well. It's just, it's a shame, obviously, to see to hear the issues that he's having now because um, some people say that you had that when you said that's why you signed me, but it's. Um, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a, it's a shame to see that because you, you don't wish that on anyone, but I'm forever grateful because he signed me for my boyhood club and, um, as I say, I'll be ever, ever grateful for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, you, you went on to, to sign for St Mirren and had five very successful years. Um, I suppose you could class that as, given you went on on to win a trophy, beating Hearts 3-2 in, in the League Cup um, final. But before we come on to that, that League Cup success in general, what was it like for you moving to St Mirren? I know obviously you, you made more appearances, got more game time under your belt, but again with all due respect to St Mirren, you were it's a different style of football, you were fighting at a different end of the table to what you were at Aberdeen, so what was that that pressure and, and experience like for you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a great point because it's a total change of mindset. You're going from Aberdeen under pressure to win every game. No matter who you're playing, you're under pressure to win every game. St Mirren's the target was let's stay in the league. Mm-hmm. Straight away, I, I don't like that mindset. I'm thinking, I, just, I was thinking right, no. Our target should be let's go and get in the top six. Let's go and look up rather than be scared of what's behind us. Yeah, and it's and I'm all, I'm like that and in anything I do doing life. I'm always positive, looking forward rather than worrying about what's behind us. And but it was great. We were, as I say, we went on. We were comfortable. Uh, I think we finished at the time. I think we ended up finishing eighth in the league, mm-hmm. yeah, the highest since I've ever had. We got to cup final in 2010, but we won't talk about that because we lost to Rangers in the final again. And then eventually, and, that, and that's the one that I thought, I think I was 30 then. And I thought that's it, my last chance to get to the cup final. I'm at St. Mirren now. and um, What's the chance of St. Mirren getting to another cup final? Um, so that, that would have been me. Three cup finals, lost three cup finals. And then three years later, we'll obviously get to the cup final again. And then eventually win the trophy that you just as your whole career you want to win things so and I was, a, I was we were very fortunate to, to go and do that but yeah it was to, talk, to go back to your point it's, it's it's a total change of mindset but what you're, what you're then there trying to do is you're trying to change the mindset of others around about you who have mm-hmm. been at and all their mindset is let's finish 10th let's finish 11th because we're, we're we're above above the person in 12th and I so, said no look there's better things in life to go and what about finishing 7th what about getting in the top six? What about getting to cup finals? And uh, fortunately, that yeah, fortunately we we'll, we'll managed to do those things. And uh, yeah, tough decision leaving Aberdeen. But then when you go back and see what we did do at Summer and it was mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it, you can look back and say it was the right decision in the end.
1: Yeah, and I suppose the the point you've been making throughout the 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 show tonight is about team spirit, and I guess that's what you can attribute maybe the the league cup success to is the team spirit that that team had. You know yourself, Jim Goodwin was part of that team. Stephen Thompson uh, is Goncalves, and of course, John McGuinness, you, you spoke about as as well, and um, you know you coming up uh, at Submenan. But you know you did it the hard way winning yep. winning that that League Cup. Uh, unfortunately, once again, you dumped Aberdeen out of the out of the competition despite Josh McGuinness equalising right at the death. Uh, remember that 90th minute and. You know maybe you can you can touch on how you felt in that game was that a case of oh, a that, that's our chance you know especially that game being out tawdry but uh, held on through extra time and, and dumping Aberdeen out four two on penalties but then uh you know uh, just a crazy game against celtic at hand and you you win that three two and then an equally crazy cup final also ending ending three two it was maybe written in the star stars for you that year yeah, it is. Like some people,
2: you hear of some teams and they get to cup finals and it's like they've maybe had an easy draw, and an easy run. And you always hear them say, oh, but all you have to do is beat the teams in front of you. Yeah. And, and St Mirren, as you say, we've done it the hard way, I think. St Mirren have only won up at Petaudry once in maybe the last 25 years going into that semi-final. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the year previously we had to go up and we had to win uh, to stay in the league and we won 1-0. Um, so this was obviously a year later or two years later and to go to Aberdeen the quarter final no, the, uh, the quarter final that would have been yeah, and then well, sure. to, to, beat, to beat Aberdeen and penalties but again, as an Aberdeen fan as an ex-Aberdeen player you look forward to going back to mm. Um so that so that was obviously a great night um,
1: I was saying to, to you before before recording that that game was I did a half-time competition and you had to, to beat the goalie and I remember being in the dressing room, I think it was like the ball boys changing room before. Uh, so it was like the last five minutes of the first half and they're saying, right, this is this is going to be the order you take it in. And she said, right, so the prize is if if you score, it's going to be hospitality at the semi-final at Hamden. Uh, but if we don't make it, uh, it'll just be club shop vouchers. So everyone's thinking, oh, this is going to be great hospitality to look forward to uh, as all my mates continuously remind me I didn't score so I didn't get anything but then hey I didn't feel too bad missing out on potentially not having the hospitality at the uh, the club shop so even you know you spoke about kind of mindset um, players maybe had going into certain games maybe the mindset Aberdeen was given St Mirren's record at the Toddy, look this is a, a winnable tie
2: maybe yeah maybe as you say I, I can't answer that but I just know that in, in our dressing room, you touched on it earlier, we had some unbelievable players, Gary Teal, Stephen Thompson, Jim Goodwin. Again, no superstars, mm-hmm. but an incredible work ethic. Uh, Kenny McLean, I think Kenny McLean scored a wonder goal that night, actually. Um, John McGinn, uh, great players. Great players, great attitudes that willing to work. And no superstars, but we just knew the job that we had to do. So you obviously you win that tie, you then got Celtic like at Hamden in the semi-final. You win that tie and then you think it's a cup final anything can happen in a cup final and unfortunately we managed to beat Hearts 3 too and it was just it was amazing um, drunk for four days after it and it was just great times absolutely great times
1: the Freedom of Paisley <laughs> It was
2: we went out that night straight after it was a big do back in a hotel in Paisley and it was amazing and then the next day we all decided as players to meet at two o'clock so we are in this pub and then the word must have just spread that all of the players are out and I think the whole town came and joined us. So what we decided to do was we decided to go on a pub crawl to go and give up all the pubs as much business as possible. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, as as you always do, after about six pubs, you're all steaming, you can't move any further. So we ended up in this pub down the bottom, I think it was Café Borgia, that's called. And we drank the pub dry. There was literally no alcohol left. Mm-hmm. I then had to move on. But it was brilliant because all the players were allowed to just walk behind the bar, pull their own pints and just go and do whatever they want. It was just... It was a Monday afternoon. You could just look across this pub, and it was big. and scarves going everywhere, and flags. And I thought, is this is this a normal Monday afternoon in Paisley? Because if it is, it's absolutely magnificent. But great times. And then again, we all met the next day. And because I say these things don't happen all the time, and mm-hmm. so it was a case of right, let's enjoy it as much as we can. And then, but on the back of that, we then lost, I think, six games in a trot. And then Danny Lennon ended up losing his job. But it just shows you if you've got something to aim for and something to play for, like a cup final. We were all pushing to be the best. And after that, it was a big anti-climax and it was hard for us to lift ourselves. And, but the cup final was just absolutely amazing experience and a great few days.
1: Yeah. Uh, speaking of John McGinn and, and Stephen Thompson, were you at St then when that training ground incident happened mm-hmm. that Stephen Thompson speared John McGinn?
2: No, I had left. But I'm, I'm in a WhatsApp group with a few of the ex-players and stuff. And then... All the emojis and that were going in, and, and nowadays you can get people's different heads on different bodies and stuff. Yeah. So there was javelin throwers and throwing things into John McGinn and stuff. So, but it was, but, but Stephen, I think there was talks of like John McGinn then suing the club and things and losing out on miss income and things like that. So Stephen Thompson, as much as he's a joker and a character, he was a bit. Oh no, he was a bit scared at the time because. John was then tipped to go on to then be the next best thing. And you imagine that halts someone's career because he's got a bloody javelin stuck in the (laughs) side of his leg. (laughs) But that's the sort of things that happen on training grounds. And now you're out of football, that's the sort of things that you miss is the joking, the camaraderie and all the, I don't like using the word banter, but it is banter. It's just, you're laughing all the time. You walk into a dressing room and I'll guarantee within 30 seconds, you're laughing and joking. And it's different to any other workplace. And unless you've experienced it and been in a dressing room, it's hard for people to understand what it's all about, but it's just, I think that's a big thing that a lot of footballers miss from, it is the dressing room.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm very glad you said you don't like using the word banner. You've won me back over after you said there was no superstars in that team. Uh, Paul Dummett, thanks very much, involved <laughs> oh there. God. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I got a soft spot for Newcastle, I had to get in there. But uh, <laughs> moving on, moving on regardless.
1: Lee, just going back to your your playing career, um, you had spells at Dumbarton, Park Thistle, and and Strenrar respectively, and um, before before calling uh, a day in terms of football. A brief stint at management, I believe, or was it assistant manager at Stranraer as well. And um, what was that like for you? Finally, coming out of football must have been tough because going by some of the stuff you've been saying, I did. I didn't plan on coming out of football because football
2: is all I know. I left school at sixteen, and I just wanted to go and be a footballer, and I was forced to do that, but. It was all I knew, so I just thought I'd automatically go down the road of coaching and becoming a manager. So I'd done all my coaching badges, my A licence, my B licence and stuff all down at large. And when I got the chance to become – so I then went – I went to Park Thistle, I then went part-time at Dumbarton, and I hated going part-time. I'm an all-or-nothing kind of guy. I'm either doing something 100% or I'm not doing it at all. Going part-time is very, very tough. Um, Also as well, I was getting a bit older, so I wasn't maybe – is as switched on as what I, I should have been. I could I could see it up here still here, but losing that yard of pace when you never had that yard of pace in the first place, it can be very, very tough, right? So it was one of those that was getting even more frustrated. And then halfway through that season at Dumbarton, I chucked it. I I'd said, look, it's it, it was it wasn't for me. And I thought, right, and I'm just waiting to call it a day here. But then Stranard picked up the phone and offered me the assistant manager role. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's the route I want to go down because I want to go and become a coach and a manager. Um, But they wanted me to play more than to be assistant manager. So I was like, ah. So I was even more frustrated to see being that middleman when you're not playing well because in your head you've already retired, but then you're also trying to coach people because they could just turn and say, hang on, you're having an absolute stinker and you're here trying to tell me. So I found it very tough being that middle person. And so at the end of that, I also never seen eye to eye with the manager. Um, we were totally different. I now understand why managers appoint their friends or people they're very close to as assistants because they ne- you need to be like that. You need to be thick as thieves. You need to be singing off the same hymn sheet. You need to know the directions you want to go. we were totally different. I was more about wanting to coach and help players become better and educate them. Whereas the manager was more, can I say old school? Yeah, I can. I can say old school. Yep. Yeah. So he was more old school and shouting and bawling. And I was like, well, we need to coach these players they're at a a lower level because they've maybe not been coached we've had an opportunity to go and coach them and pass on our 20 years of experience to go and help them have better careers and at the end of it we we lost out on the playoffs well playoff final against Air United we lost in penalties to get promoted and then I just walked away at the end of the season and that was five and a half years ago and I've been out of football since and it's I watch it now and again. I wouldn't say I'm a diehard football fan, and and it's all about football, football, football. It's I'll I'll watch it now and again, but it's uh, I'm I'm too busy now with my family life. I've got a couple of businesses and that as well. It's keeping me busy. So it's um, football's done me well. Football still does me well because my contacts. I I use a lot of my contacts and stuff for business and that. So it's uh, yeah. Look, I'll always look back on football forever, ever grateful, and I've absolutely loved it. And it's just been. It was a great part of my career, but it's 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 over now, and I'm looking forward to the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I think you know myself and Calm both appreciate the kind of honesty and openness that you've shown to us throughout the the interview um, tonight. And you know, business has become a part of your your life now. You've got a couple of businesses used to do Herbalife. Do you still do you still do that? Herb- yeah, I got involved. I got involved with Herbalife when I was retiring,
2: and It was purely because, I'll be honest, it was purely because I didn't know what I was going to do after football. And then I got a scare because it was coming up to, you're moving down the levels, your income's not what it was. And then you think, oh, hang on a minute, I've got a wife, I've got two kids, I've got a mortgage, car payments and stuff. And so I thought, right, what am I going to do? Because no qualifications. I've not been in the real world. All I've done is kick strikers for 18 years, right? So (laughs) that's going to come to an end and I'm not going to get paid for it. So... I didn't know what I was going to do, but my mate showed me this opportunity with life and I got involved with it, and I loved it. But what it done was it it got me surrounded by entrepreneurial people, people that are very successful, people that are wanting to grow and become better, and that's helped me then go and set up another business. So I've got two businesses plus I've got another job. So and I'm and my I'm dad and my husband. So I'm, I'm a very busy guy, so I don't have time for football anymore. But it's it, yeah, as I say, things are. Things things were tough. See, for two, three years, I actually looked into setting up a business to help footballers transition from football to the real world, as I call it, because there's there's a gap there, and you'll see a lot of footballers that that struggle. Not just footballers, professional athletes uh, in general, that they struggle making that transition because they're they're not used to working ten hours a day, or they, they don't know what they're going to do, and they're, and they're used to working two hours a day and getting a large income. It's a big, big life change for a lot of them. So I looked into setting up a business for that. But then it was just, it was going to take too much. And, but I'm still very passionate about helping footballers make that transition. So it's, uh, yeah, look, th- things are going well now. But as I say, for two, three years, it was tough. But as I say, I surrounded myself with positive people. Um, I'm not scared to ask questions. I, what I would find myself doing on LinkedIn is I would message like CEOs of companies and I'd say, look, I'm looking, I'd love to pick your brains. Can we meet for a coffee? I'm not scared to go and put myself out there because I want to do better. Um, and all they can say is no. So I just, <laughs> um, and some of them take you up, some of them give you help and stuff. And I'd say things are going well now and I'm excited, excited for the, for the next five, 10 years. So um, yeah, football's helped me. Um, it's not part of my life anymore, but it's, uh, yeah, as I said, I've said many times, we just we just crack on now. Yeah, and
1: that's the thing, uh, kind of, using that, that mantra that you just said, it came across your uh, LinkedIn post about the pen that you've got on your desk and the kind of motivational uh, stuff that you were putting on behind that. And I just thought the exact same thing. The worst that you can say to us if we reach out to, to speak to you was no, we'll move on. But here we are. And it's it's been a great interview. But that, that business you thought of, um, around the for footballers coming out was that the business plan you were going to propose to Alan Sugar because you did apply to be on the Apprentice. Yes. I did again. It was one
2: of those things. I was sitting sitting on the living room, uh, lying on the sofa, and then flicking through Twitter as you do, and then I just I came across this application and it was like apply for the Apprentice, and I was like, what is this nonsense? So I clicked on it, filled in the five minute application. I says to the wife, I've just applied for Apprentice, and she says, what well, you're talking absolute nonsense, and then. Never had thought anything of it, right? i just gone in life. Three months later, oh yeah, you've been selected. You've got to go for an audition down in Manchester. And I was like, no way. And then again, I thought, you don't ask. I'm one of these guys, if you don't ask, you don't get. So I thought, see what I'm going to go, see what comes of it. So I went and it was like a whole day of auditions. So it was a case of, right, you're getting through the first one, you get getting through the next one. So I think it got to like number three. And then you're sitting having a chat with, uh, it's like one of the producers, Unfortunately, you don't get to meet Alan Sugar, right? So, um, so you're sitting there and you're talking to one of the, the producers, and he's and he's talking about, oh, what's your business idea and stuff. And so I said to him about helping athletes and things, um, but I genuinely think he was more interested on he was wanting wacky people that are out mm. there because it's a TV program. And I thought, mm-hmm. I, I thought, see what? I actually made a mate with a guy, right? Because I was sitting next to a guy at One Editions, and we got talking, and it was a scout guy. And he was, he's got these, these things. He was making candles, like special candles. And I seen him a year later on Dragon's Den. And the Dragons uh, put money into him. And I thought, ah, good on you. Mm-hmm. And we still talking now and again. So it just shows you by going down there, you then make a connection. You never know what can come of that connection. Uh, un- unlucky for Alan Sugar, he's, now, he's not <laughs> my business partner. But that's his <laughs> loss. That's not mine. Um, yeah, look, it was one of those you thought. It's, I'm, I'm one of those, if you don't have a shot, you never score a goal. And mm-hmm. I thought, what can come of this? You never know. And it was just good experience putting yourself. It was don't, It was very awkward. You had to stand in front of a room of people, and the first question was, "Why should you be Alan Sugar's business partner?" And I'm like, "I want money." God knows, <laughs> God knows I've not got a clue. But I managed to say something, and then put you through the next round, and then the next round. And you know, good, good experience, good life experience. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was fu- It was fun at the time.
0: I think um, you said you said you don't have a shot you don't score a goal maybe that's something you learned. Um it's gone full circle you learned that from your prol- prolific spell at East Fife um, so I there said, we yeah. what
2: was it 2-15 and yeah. I, think, I think I scored like 10 goals in my whole career there we I go right. um, not- but so one for Aberdeen against St. Beren fun enough and yeah. at the Merkland end and I, and I remember go. at the time thinking wow I used to sit there looking at that goal thinking I'll be with the beat score, and I, and I managed to do it mm. so uh, one goal one goal for Aberdeen I'm happy with that
0: well that leads me on to my final question perhaps that was the highlight of, I mean, with you having said um, you know you used to sit in the Merkland as a young kid uh, dreaming of being Ian Jess what was your one highlight for Aberdeen during uh, your spell at Aberdeen if there was one to pick out we'll just end on a high note
2: um, it's got to be the the game against Bayern Munich at Petaudry. as I say just I can't. I can't remember too much from the game, but I remember walking out, and then you walk out the tunnel and up, and then you just—it was the European nights at are incredible. Mm-hmm. But the last thirty-two of the European Cup against Bayern Munich, again, I'm getting goosebumps even even talking about it. It was just incredible. Um, I think it was live on the BBC and that as well. It was just mm-hmm. I think the whole of Scotland would have been watching it, and it was just one of those. You just—I remember walking out thinking, "This is this is what it was all about." That is—that was a dream as a kid. Um, was to, to play in nights like this and that was the one that gave me goosebumps um, for Aberdeen it was as I say it was a frustrating time one that I, re- I really really wish went better um, but look it's one of those what can you do about it now it's just um, you take you take the positive it, and then as I say you just crack on with life
1: I think that's a, a perfect note to, to end on Lee it's been an absolute pre- pleasure having you on Red Tinted Glasses thanks very much for joining us
2: Great to, great to chat guys
1: All the best for the future.
2: Thank you.
0: And there we have it for our interview with Lee Mayer. We hope you did enjoy it as much as we enjoyed recording it, sitting down with Lee. If you did, please be sure to leave a like on the video if you are watching on YouTube. Subscribe if you are new around here too, as well as following us wherever you are listening in and on Twitter at RTG underscore podcast. We'll be back very shortly with our review of the Dundee game. But until then, thanks very much once again and take care.